Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Emily Shu and you're listening to Infinite Runway. This podcast explores stories, ideas, hidden assumptions, current events, and features guests on the future of tech, investing, media, and entertainment. The views expressed in this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and guests and should only be used for informational purposes. Hey, welcome back. It's been a while on the fifth day of the new year in 2023. Welcome back, Geese. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? How was your weekend? How was your new year? Christmas, holidays, everything? Good, good. It was all a blur. You know, the last couple of days leading into the new year, it's always confusing and just, I don't know, the days blend into each other. You kind of forget what's going on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I just slept a lot. It was pretty good. That's I, good. I think this is probably the most I've slept in like a year, in, the, in the entire year, actually. Yeah. My Apple Watch tells me that I've hit my sleeping targets 12, 10 out of 12 days. So oh, that's, that's cool. A, that's pretty good. You're one of the few people that I know that wears their Apple Watch 24-7. Oh, really? Most people take it off? No, yeah, most people that I know take it off because it bothers them. Like when they're sleeping and they hit their like wrist on something, it's just bothersome. I just want the watch to collect my data, basically. So I'm a bit obsessed with it. That's first. But like, when do you charge it though? When it's running out of batteries? So usually during the weekday, I charge it whenever I start my work. Like whenever I reach reach the office, that's the first thing I do. And so I basically like during the weekday, it's not a problem. But if it's when I'm it's during the weekend, I have to like, take out some time in the middle of the day to charge it. I'm thinking oh. of getting those chargers which are like three in one, your phone, your your watch, and your AirPods. Like it's like a stand or something. Uh, yeah. It's like MagSafe, but like for everything. Uh, because right now I have to plug it to my laptop and I have to find, like, make sure my laptop is charged or like plugged in. Uh, but the Apple Watch, surprisingly, they've launched a lot of updates over the past few months. And it's gotten better in terms of charging. It's gotten better in terms of the data it records, especially sleep. Like a lot of it is fairly accurate because I can like obviously know when I wake up and it catches a lot of like small parts about how my resting, sleeping, heart rate and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and if there are good trends, that if I'm like, for example, exercising more, it picks up over the weeks that I'm exercising more. If I'm not walking a lot, it's picking up that. Uh, so I think it's a generally useful tool. I think I do feel like I want to see more of like monitoring or there's another called a whoop or something like that yeah uh, it's also pretty good uh i know someone who found out that they were pregnant through their ring because wow. was, their stats were all over the place and wow like, that's wow, actually crazy that is crazy actually is there wow. an equivalent of what aura does on the uh, the apple watch or no because i don't i have the shittiest version of the, of the watch series 4 so i don't even have the latest apps I think the last two versions of the Apple Watches are pretty good. Aura, I think, is a bit more granular, I would say. Like, it measures a lot more in terms of your heart rate, etc. It's probably more accurate, too, I think. Uh, it's also way more easier to wear and take off, for example. Uh, that said, I think the latest Apple Watch, for example, does your ECG. Like, they have mm. a cons- constant ECG scanner, for example. And it's very good if, for example, like if, if you're a heart patient, right, that's pretty good for you. They also do, like, crash detection now. So if you're in a crash, it's automatically going to call 911 or like whatever responder that you have locally. So they're definitely putting a lot of energy into it. And I, I definitely think it's pretty efficient in a lot of ways. So you have Apple Pay support. You have you also have like weather support. Like if you turn on weather notifications, it's going to get, especially in a city like Toronto, you would want something like that if it's getting like pretty cold or if it's raining a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely think it's like a worthy investment for, for if you're if you're a high level athlete, 
uh, the 8 Ultra is insane. Like the charging, this, the metal casing. Like I think you can go very deep into water. Take it very deep in, with, with, with it in water and stuff. Oh, wow. so that's pretty good. That's, I think it's worth like $900 or something or probably even more. Like the last I said. Pretty much like a laptop at this point. Oh, yeah. Eh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what is weird about Canada is that Canada does not have good support for the Apple watches that have like SIM cards. Oh. Uh, most carriers actually don't support it here. Like if you have Virgin, Virgin doesn't support it. I think only Bell does it. And Bell is the most expensive. Here, so it's kind of like you're paying premium on both ends. Yeah, but uh, doesn't, find... Bell, doesn't Bell own Rogers or something like that? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> So not I don't think Bell owns Rogers, but like Bell owns like another oh, okay. one of them. It is one of the very it's a very confusing monopoly for someone who, who moved here. Uh, like yeah. I think you have maybe three brands all together, all together, and the, these three own the next three brands. Basically, and I just find it very surprising how acceptable the monopolies are in Canada as compared to in the rest of the world. For example, like in terms of banking, you have four banks probably. Yeah, and those banks do everything. Like for example, I made an account on Tangerine. And there, it's completely online. Turns out it's going to West Scotia. And hmm. RBC is pretty big here. All these, those banks are not bad to, per se, but I'm just very surprised by like Canada's tendency to just like let these monopolies reign. And like it seems very antithetical to the country in general. Yeah, uh, I do believe I would say that. the US isn't doing much better either. Like the US has an AT&T Verizon monopoly. Uh, in terms of banks, they're they're also very similar. But they have a lot more regional banks than we do. Uh, so they're a bit better in those ways, but it's very yeah. hard to get a Canadian banking license. It's harder to get a Canadian banking license than it's a, than it is to get a U.S. bank license. Like FTX basically acquired a bank just to be a bank. Yeah. And that bank is actually public, like I think. And I think the stock is on 40% just today because they laid off a lot of people. Silver yeah. Bankade or something. Speaking uh, of which, what's been going on in FTX land? What have you read? I just, I just read this one Twitter account called Autism Capital. It's okay, really is it a meme work. account? Is it like a thread boy oh, no, like, account? No, 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 no. It's like a completely anonymous crypto account. And they oh, okay. just do, like, they, they were basically my go-to for everything. So they were actually ahead of the news in a lot of cases. For example, I think, it, I don't know if I told you this, but like Caroline Ellison was basically seen somewhere in a coffee shop in, in New York. And yeah. they, someone sent the picture to them and they posted. And then the next picture, there's, they're, they have a community around it. So they, the next picture was basically how far that cafe was to the U.S. district district attorney, like the Southern District of New York. Yeah. It was like a nine-minute walk. Yeah. And people thought, oh, maybe she's there to cut a deal. <laughs> Even three months later, she's cutting a deal. Uh, and so they have built a very, very cool community around it. I think it's pretty good. Uh, and th- those are the only, like, account. That's the only account I follow, to be honest, because they're, like, they've been, like, spot on. So so what's happening? Is is he in New York, like some jail in New York? Oh, or no. what's he's, he's, in, he's back he's in, in the Bahamas or, or Stanford? Or, sorry, he's back he's in, in California, California, California with his yeah, parents. Yeah, he basically is back to his... He, so I think it's a house arrest. So he can't, okay. I think, leave so his he house can't unless, leave. like... Yeah, uh, but he has internet and he's been posting. He's yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Crazy, crazy, yeah. crazy. And and uh, Caroline, I guess she's also going to trial soon. No, point. no, she's not going. She, she, she basically, uh, like, cut a deal, right? So she's not going to trial. She's just, we're just gonna find out how long she's going to jail for, if at all. Uh, that makes she sense. Will, she will probably go to serve some time, but I would imagine it's going to be pretty last, like maybe a few years. Yeah. Uh, but it is kind of insane, you know. Like I, I had no idea about FTX. I'd never heard of it. Moving from Pakistan, Binance was pretty big. So like everyone knew Binance. I know so many people who were, I actually tried to buy some stuff from Binance back in Pakistan. And it's very big in countries where you don't have like legit, where it's not where it's not legal mm. to buy crypto, but you can like it's semi-legal. 
and so you can't basically use your credit card your debit cards to buy so you have to find a guy who's who has a binance account who owns crypto and you'll basically pay him in cash or like use some local rails and there he'll send the and binance becomes the custodian basically it's sort mm. of an escrow system and i think it was pretty good because i think they onboarded a lot of people but ftx i had no idea like i've never seen a person use ftx huh i, I think it's also popular in asia too right FTX apparently is. Yeah, uh, in Japan yeah, or something? Korea, Japan, I think. Mm. But I've never seen like anyone use FTX. Like I've never heard Yeah, of I've it. never heard of it. Yeah, like, I just they, had, I... they have FTX US. I think they also owned another subsidiary or they bought another subsidiary. And so I just find it surprising. Then I would read about this guy who's made a thirty two billion company, his C only has yeah. three people. And I'm like, yeah, wow, this makes I actually thought that was it was very cool that he only has thirty people. And like, you know, he's really cutting down on the skin. Turns out they were also losing money throughout. Turns out they were doing fraud from day one. Turns out they yep. were like, you know. And so I just feel like I wish he hadn't popularized the 30 people part because people actually do need to hire less, I think. Uh, I'm just kind of surprised by how obvious it is to me that people should be do- asking more at startups, like doing more at startups. But somehow there is just a process that creeps in from somewhere and these people are just like blindly following that process. I just find it very surprising people thought don't like startups became a lot more lucrative than they should be and the type of profile that they're attracting is not optimal mm. uh, it's now like a cool thing like it's, it's always a cool thing to start a company it's just that now most people are starting or like either thinking of an acquisition from day one or just that was their game plan all along or like do you know do the thing that many have done like just scale fast sell yeah. secondaries move on so you sent me this podcast through uh, of like Jason Calcanis's This Week in Startups with uh, Keith Raboy, and they were talking about the funding environment and stuff. What were what were your like main takeaways from that? That's a good podcast, I think. I think it's. I just think things are gonna get worse before they get better. Like I'm talking to people, and I'm always talking to people, but I'm just like working at a startup myself. You see that people are really scared, like just to like pump, just to like you know spend money on growth, for example. I just don't see why you would do that right now or at least the next two quarters because honestly, no one in this world right now has any idea if inflation goes up or down. Everything is downstream of that. Inflation goes up. Interest rates go higher. You could distract the demand a lot more. And some things are getting easier. For example, maybe the supply chain is easing up. Maybe like, you know, China is always a bigger factor. And that is still a factor for some reason. Like COVID is not over in China. They still have lockdowns. I think Tesla Shanghai factory, for example, is not up to par, it's not functional, something like that. So I just feel like it's it's a time for three people, four people companies to like just really double down and like, you know, iterate fast and find product market fit. I just don't think it's a good time to be anywhere after CEZ. It's just very hard, like unless you're crushing it doing 3X because Salesforce laid off like 10,000 people yesterday. Um, I'd be curious to really figure out like where uh, where where Mark is going to take the company next. I mean, I'm assuming he's going to have to hire a new uh, uh, co I don't know CEO slash someone who has to make it up the ranks going in, coming in as a CPO or COO and, and eventually kind of um, succeeding him. Yeah, I have no idea about Salesforce. Like, I'm, it's just a company that I've never had any visibility into. Uh, I I do know a lot of people who use Salesforce. It's always a love hate relationship. Yeah, where people keep using the product. They're not not always the most enthusiastic about it, but it is a platform which probably has the widest array of services and they do some things that are really nice. Uh, That said, I mean, honestly, any tech company, like for example, Amazon, I think laid off 18,000 people. 
this time I think software engineers were not as impacted as but as far as I can tell. Uh, but you know, eighteen thousand people is a lot of people in any capacity, and these are not your gig workers. These are actual like corporate employees that yeah. are making probably a lot of money. Were they mostly R and D or or sales? Oh, it's basically H- HR type recruiting. And Got it. Yeah, I, I'm not actually sure about the recruiting, but definitely HR. Uh, then you also have, I think, Vimeo, they have 11%. So it's all, only going to get worse for a while, at least. Like, until people know exactly what the upper bound and lower bound of inflation is, it's just that. Yeah. But it's also, like, an excuse now for people to lay off because they they just have an excuse. Like, for example, honestly, if you if anyone who's, who's, whose company is doing well, you still want to lay off your bottom performers, and now you have the right cover. Yeah. Like, uh, and it's a shitty thing to do, but probably if you're a CEO or founder, that's probably how you're thinking. Because, you know, yeah. companies also, get opto. It's also interesting that this uh, layoff environment and the macro environment happening to big tech is, is also affecting like startups. Oh, yeah. If anything, is giving startups more of a clear idea of like who they want to hire and bring on in their as part of their early team than not. Because you're going to have a bunch of like what they were mentioning in the podcast or Keith was saying was you, you'll have a bunch of these engineers, ex-Googlers come in with, you know, 300K, 400, 500K, $1,000 expectation per year and these startups are like well that says more about you than it does about us and so you're probably not going to be a good fit and so for that reason like yeah why bother even you you already know your decision at that point whether you're fit for a startup if you're gonna command such a high um, base pay or comp package or whatever yeah so that's interesting 100 percent. i think we are even the company i work at we are all this hiring engineers and the thing that i'm looking at is that I don't, I'm not entirely sure if people who are applying for jobs right now have really fat, like understood the fact that the market has moved quite towards the employer direction. So like remote work, for example, everyone expects remote work when you interview them. And I, for one, have learned for, from first-hand experience that I've been way more, like if you're in the office, I don't expect you to be there five days a week. But the context that I picked up by just being in the office around people who are like constantly talking about how to improve the business, how to do this or that, and also just like having other random conversations where everyone, is, for example, it's still a small company. So you probably basically talk to everyone who's in the company every day. Yeah. And one thing that I have picked up is that, yeah, you get to know people a lot more. You probably learn one or two things that are not work related, but like, you know, you know the company is diverse. So you probably learn about some culture or whatever, but you also get a lot of interesting insights about how we, how you could be doing stuff faster, whatever their bottlenecks. And like, you know, everyone's having lunch together. We're talking about, oh, this is a problem that someone is facing. How can we improve it? This is someone what someone else is doing. And I just don't know how people, like in the past two so I this is my first time ever working in an office. So I can clearly see a difference. I was working in a remote startup before that. And it's just not that easy. Like I just, unless you're really good at like textual communication, which a lot of people are not, even if they're natives, like people are not where, they don't have the stamina to like write out everything and write it out in a many in a very structured way. And a lot of people are just not natives, right? Like a lot of people are just not very comfortable with yeah. writing, but they're very comfortable with like informal communication. So to play yeah, devil's yeah. advocate to what you're saying, um, for those who, who would argue that um, that justifying in-person work is is a signal of you don't trust me, and obviously you know the traditional um, signs of your boss telling you uh, clocking you in how however many hours they expect you to work during the day at the office or whatever. How has that changed for startups at all? Or do you think that wouldn't apply? Like for example, it's not a problem for our country. Like I, nobody's like clocking me my hours every day 
Sure. Uh, right, right. So like, I don't know how it works with other companies, but I'm sure people are slacking off. It was very obvious. A lot of people were doing multiple jobs remotely. And as a startup, if you're like, the thing about startups that I think a lot of people start, need to start internalizing is that it's, uh, when you're starting a company or when you're joining an early stage company, you're taking a sacrifice. You're making a sacrifice. Like I'm sure you have a paycheck in mind, but that paycheck is not guaranteed to be there in the next two years. It's also not yeah. guaranteed that, you know, you're you're a good fit for the job. It's also not guaranteed that, you know, for example, like your output has to be 10x or like 5x of what a normal person would do because that's the expectation. If you want to move fast, you have to move fast, right? You have to work more. You have to do stuff. For example, like I'm like pushing myself to do more now because you're working for the equity. You're not working for the paycheck. And if you're doing that, then that comes with a trade-off, right? Like that's right. the mentality that I want to think about. Like I'm sure people come in like in the past five, seven years, like startups have tried to like compete with like Google's and Facebook's. And so in a lot of cases, actually beating them. And it made, it makes no sense to me unless you have a printer as big as Google, which is like printing 60, like 60, 70% of Google's money comes from their search engine, like their ads. And they're printing like hundreds of billions of dollars every year. Unless you're doing that, it makes no sense for you to have like a Google Plex or something like that. Or like, you know, I know people who give, uh, I, I'm actually okay with the perk part. Like, I think it's good to like, help people focus if you can, but it's not something that you should expect, right? Like if you're coming to a startup, it should come, it is pay coming at a career cost. Like you're spending, you could be spending that time at a big company and like have a stable job or probably do more impactful things, maybe in a smaller capacity, but still. The second thing it's coming is that it's coming at the, at the expense of stability. Like I would not know if the startup will exist in the year or so. And that should light a fire under your ass basically. Like you cannot yeah. sit, sit quiet every day and do a nine to five and go home. That's not the expectation. This is, unless you're a traditional IT firm which has clients, which does software for them. And like you make custom software, which is a very stable business. It's a, it's, I'm not sure if it's recession proof, but like it is fairly recession proof. People always need, have IT needs and like businesses are always spending more to like cut costs. Or, or you're like a Google or Fang level company where you're doing five-year bets or you're doing stuff that, you know, is very integral to infrastructure. Anything yeah. in between like Cs, A, B, C, D. Like any company that's a Cs, B, C, D right now cannot raise another round. Yeah. Unless they, they A, take a down round or like, for example, someone the other day was mentioning about how Klarna mm-hmm. took their valuation from, I think, 49 or 40 billion to 6 billion. Yeah. And this is way before anyone else is. This is very early. Yeah. They're, they're probably like way, way on their way to like, you know, probably have optimized a lot more. I think I'm actually, I used their product very recently and I was very surprised that they are actually a very slick operation. Like it's very fast. It's very elegant. And so maybe there is more to that. I don't know, but I definitely think that people need to start taking the red pill. People need to start taking the bigger pill, which is that, you know, startups are supposed to be hard. Yeah. It's not always like, it's just very messy to me. And I personally don't like it. Is it that it's attracted the kind of person that's not really in it for why you want yeah, to be a Yeah, absolutely. That reminds me, actually, I was doing a co-founder matching uh, call today. I met someone on the YC co-founder matching platform and um, he was kind of like his, his non-negotiable was you need to be in person with me in, in New York. And I was like, yeah, I totally would be down. Like I need to first assess that we're a right fit or, or whatever. Um, and his main thing is just, yeah, from talking to all his friends who started or founded companies in New York, that was the that was just like the default like assumption. Like you never ever start a company with a remote co-founder, and oh, obviously, okay. I'm a I'm I'm a big believer of that as well. So yeah, just to emphasize on how important it is to to work in person. Well, for sure. I, I someone this morning was asking me about another founder, and what do you think he, how he or she is doing? 
And that's like the first mistake they're making is they're working remotely. Like the founder is in some other place, you're in some other place. I just don't get like, how can you do that? I, I mean, at the company I'm at, like we, although the leadership is always in the office, I'm always in the office, but I cannot just not imagine them going like, you know, we'll work from wherever we are. Yeah. And that's how it is. And that's how it's going to be. And because we like a lot is getting done, even in the smaller communications, like um, if I have a problem, I'll just instantly go and like have a five minute conversation. If it's Slack, I have to wait for him to respond. And we have to like chat or we have to jump on a call. Yeah. There's a lot more logistics to it. And ultimately, I think this is what I like about YCs. Like they just optimize, like tell you to optimize for speed and like the rest will follow. And I think if you're like just remote is just not as fast. I just don't get why people have internalized remote startups. Like I think Kitlab has done it, for example. It's done it pretty well. So it's not entirely something that's impossible, but I don't know if it's the first five people should be remote. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely not. Like it just um, makes no sense. Yeah. Pivoting over to the next topic. Um, actually, uh, a curveball topic is uh, what's, what's, it, what's something that, what's a hot take that you've developed recently that, uh, you know, people would potentially find it contentious? Interesting. That's a good question, actually. I, you sh- I should keep a list of these because I usually have a lot of them. No, but, you have a uh, lot of, yeah, you have a lot of uh, just serendipitous ones. They just kind of come like out of randomness. I think the first thing that pops into my head is the, this AI thing that's happening right now, which is like, a, it's, it's, a, it's obviously revolutionary. It's just that it's going to be very funny when all the big tech companies envelop all this like revolution and just like make it their own. And a lot of new, Net new companies are going to be a lot less than people think. Uh, for example, one thing that has hit me a, b- a bit more in the past two days specifically is that even despite all this revolution in AI, and so I'm Jeff by trade, like an ML researcher, I've been doing it since 2019. And I, the, the light bulb that's going off in most people ha- people's head right now went off for me in like 2019 and 2020. And I was like, wow, this is insane. One thing that I'm noticing is that co- the quality of software is still going to be the more, biggest determining factor for who gets to take the biggest wins in machine learning. So describe what quality means here. So for example, like, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, they're just going to build a new company from scratch and they're going to train a model and they're going to do something that no one else is doing. Or like, for example, I've in, I was, I know a few people who were like trying to do a code search using ML and I was, I was talking to them for a while and now they're like five companies doing it. And like, and lo and behold, OpenAI just re, like gives a, gives out an API that does that exact same thing. And so now the winner of whatever that market and GitHub obviously introduce, introduces their own new search, which has, which has been lagging for quite a while and they're like doing well there. And so GitHub can do it because they already have the distribution. And today I find out that GitHub has, Copilot has another extension, which is called Copilot Labs. Which, for example, if you highlight your code, it'll explain the code to you. It'll basically change it to a different language. It'll do a lot of interesting things. And the experience is so sleek that I just don't have to, like, you know, go out of my workflow. And that's also because Copilot and GitHub is Microsoft. Microsoft is VS Code. VS Code is the biggest, most prominent, you know, IDE. Mm-hmm. And so they already have good quality VS Code IDE. They already have a good quality, like, code hosting service. And combining them, they just unleashed a new product which is by far the biggest value product that I've ever Like I spent $10 on it. It's 14 Canadian, best 14 Canadian dollars I spend every month. I don't even expense it to my company. Mm-hmm. It's because I don't want like- So much I, that you, yeah, you're willing to pay it yourself. Oh yeah, 100%. Okay. Like I, they, they tell me to expense it. I was like, I don't want to expense it because <laughs> I obviously don't like it, but like I, it's just by far the best experience I've ever had using a product in the past two years. 
It's yeah. so good. It's such an elegant solution. You can prime it in different ways. And the second most would be probably ChatGPT. But the thing is, a lot of VCs would like now jumping onto this trend per se. One thing that I'm now more flustered about is that how unoriginal most like investors are and they're just like, you know, head first I, jumping into it. Yeah, I almost feel like this ChatGPT thing it exposes more about investors' tendencies and like their sort of intuition and their sort of uh, compass, so, so to speak, to like... Exactly. So example, it does about Microsoft powers. is now integrating Bing with ChatGPT. So though ChatGPT comes out and it's like, oh, this is going to be revolutionary. Microsoft plugs it into Bing. Bingo, there's a new search altogether. Next thing you have like GPT-3. GitHub comes along, plugs it into Copilot. You have another code editing software. Yeah. The next thing is like, someone is going to introduce it to Microsoft Google Docs. You have a new text editor. And so all these people who have had good software until this point, I just kind of double down on this. So, so, and, so then let's let's think about let's talk about the legal implications, right? The the regulatory implications of this, as as it was mentioned in the podcast um, we were talking about earlier with Jason and and Keith Raboy, they were talking. I guess Jason just like asked, like, what are your thoughts on sort of um, IP law and like you know IP being regulated, given that they're literally ChatGPT is literally scraping the web and like you know you don't know where what information sources they're getting it from if it's proprietary information if it's you know whatever who it belongs to and stuff like that what are your thoughts on that is it going to get regulated probably i have no idea honestly but it's interesting because a lot of people have sued github because of the fact that they trained a lot of the models on the github code which was open right. source in various licenses so that code that case is probably going to get adjudicated for the next few years but the bigger problem is I don't think you can regulate something like this. Like, can you regulate crypto? No, like you cannot like stop someone to launch an ERC-20 token, right? And I just think it's going to happen. For example, let's say it takes five years for us to regulate this. Like governments are already, already lagging like by 10. They're still in the middle of like regulating Facebook. Facebook yeah, yeah. So 2020. How do you expect them to like regulate something that's exponentially improving? And by exponentially, I mean, it's like, at the, it's like, improving so fast that a lot of people just cannot even start companies because by the time they get to some MVPs, they're already like, you know. So tell me, does there. that mean I'm screwed? No, I don't. Like, I mean, <laughs> the thing, that's the thing, right? Like, it really depends on which three angles, like, which what is your unique selling point? And for example, I think in places where bits haven't really innovated, you're probably still fine. And that's because in a lot of cases, for example, finance, fintech, there's a lot of regulation. And there's not much that AI can do in terms of moving money differently. And so it's probably going to be the same. Like crypto came in and crypto has taken such a huge hit after FTX. That's going to be a while before that image builds up. Like even the most strongest crypto proponents still probably, you know, like it's very hard for them to go to the hill right now and like, you know, get some side of yeah. some sort of favorable bill. There were a lot of congressmen, senators speaking in favor of crypto in 2021. That's going to be harder now. So like it's, some situation has changed. A lot of people have realized crypto, AI may be the real thing, like maybe the next shiny object, so people have moved on. Uh, regulation is going to happen at some point. Europe is obviously going to take the lead on it. They're probably the biggest idiots to do it. And I just I just think it's, how, what are you going to regulate exactly? Like, for example, by the time you regulate this in like five years or four years, you have models that are so good that people are not going to go back. Yeah, like, you know, I think it's more of like just lawsuits, class action lawsuits, things like that, that are very specific. They're focused on a specific use case of what it enabled somebody else to do and that kind of stuff. Yeah, for example, I just don't see a world in which we go back to a co-pilot less world. Like I just don't imagine myself coding now without co-pilot, right? 
it's such a, a elegant solution i'm not the only one like a lot of famous people now or like famous engineers or famous researchers now do, do everything with copilot and i just like now that people know that this is a thing that is like can be done how do you go back and like you know re- you can maybe retrain them all but people are going to figure out a way to like go around this and let's say and also like america's probably has good decent copyright laws europe has probably very strong copyright laws how are you just going to do something at the scale of the internet like how are you going to stop someone in pakistan or india just who can just train the entire who can just do the same thing but like has no copyright infringement sure. uh, everyone watches movies and on like like you know everyone just downloads books there and just copyright infringement three times yeah. b- by lunch and so like it's a i just i just haven't seen some something like this get properly regulated i think the only thing that's gotten somewhere regulated on the internet is probably like stuff like movies mm. or like books that are that are people still buy or like rent Uh, but that you haven't stopped it by any chance like yeah. torrent or bittorrent are still pretty popular clients everywhere what do you I think know, like yeah what do you think the vc's conjecture is on investing in startups that are that claim that their moat is not necessarily pure like you know uh chat gpt dali generative ai type stuff but they're bsing on some other moat that's enabled by this type of tech what are your thoughts on what they I think, think? I, someone i someone i know just posted a great meme on this is like it's basically i, I think your entire company cannot be around ai it's just you, that's what i'm saying that's my contrarian thesis that this is actually a better time to build software because whatever you do has to be software enabled like ml is only in software right now we're not touching biology it's it's doing a lot of interesting things there as well mm-hmm. and in a lot of applications but people who build the best software are still going to be the winners in whatever you do right now Yeah. And I think anyone who's building a company that's like just doing models for example or a GPT-3 wrapper it's just going to be much harder uh to like get something off the ground for example and I just don't think people totally internalize that like products build experiences ML like people don't care if you're using machine learning or not as good as it may be and for example like you can a thing that is going to happen more very in the very near future is like travel agents or like all these things can now be bought so they're already trying but it's going to get a lot better and people don't really care if you're talking to a bot or if you're talking to an actual human if it can, like if i can't tell it who who is on the other end it doesn't really matter yeah. as long as the problem gets solved swiftly yeah. and i think we're getting there we're I, actually there like i think i did a thread in 2020 where like i think every call center can be automated by 2020 so it's not it's not something new i did an entire thread of why how and how you would do it And I actually tried doing it but it was it didn't work out initially but I think now that, I think using the tech now would be much more efficient. Oh yeah, I think it's it's only getting better. Like this tweet that I just sent you it's basically how people are trying to like console themselves like my company is going to be fine I, my GPT-3 wrapper is going to be better than the other wrapper. <laughs> it's just that there is no edge anywhere like if you're just everyone is plugging into the same APIs Yeah, that means that the barrier of entry is just so low that you're not doing anything particular. It's table stakes at this point. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of people. This is why you just observe and see what's happening. The one thing that you can do that people are not doing is how to get better models, like get better techniques that nobody else knows about. If ChatGPT, everyone knows how if OpenAI did it because they published the research. It's also something that I don't think they knew they thought would get very big, but it's also something that it's not central to their plan. They want to mm-hmm. build an AGI or whatever. so they are outsourcing to get feedback and how to get better but even the progress that they have made since chat like gpt3 to chat gpt it's a lot of progress like they're now doing a lot of interesting things they i was looking at their pricing model this morning 
So they per token, they use tokens as a pricing wheel. Tokens is basically like words. And the previous price for their tokens, like ADA2, which was ADA1 was 0.001, I believe, or 0.004 yeah. per, thousand, per thousand tokens. And their new pricing is 0.001 extra 0.4. Yeah. So they've just reduced the price by 10x. But I think did Keith Roboy not say like, oh, even a bigger order of magnitude less than than what it is right now? The pricing problem is comes from the hardware, not the software. Uh, you need yeah. GPUs to run them. And so GPUs are scarce, which means GPUs are expensive. And so I, I actually know a very good founder who I've talked to quite a few times. So what they're trying to do is basically optimize how people can serve GPUs at scale, serve ML, serve ML models at scale. And they've done like very core under, like they went under the hood and like saw how like these combinations are happening and tried to optimize that. And those kind of things are actually going to be very more, very more and more popular. But OpenAI has done a lot of optimization in terms of, say, serving GPT-3 that no one knows about. I've only heard some people talk about it, but how they serve models and all the innovations they've done at the deeper software layer and how they store weights and everything. Yeah. Nobody knows about it. Nobody's asking about it, which I find very fascinating because those models are legitimately hard to run. And so how are they serving and how do they have, how do they have these APIs? And it's weird because Facebook doesn't do it. Google doesn't do it. Amazon doesn't do it. They are the only company that are serving LLMs at like massive gigantic scale. Like there's no GBD3 competitor in any company that I've seen so far. Like everyone is just using their API. And so it's a good question. Like what innovations are they doing at the hardware level or at the, C- or at the core, like lower level software level? And from what I've heard, it's a lot of innovation. Like they've like really figured out how to partition weights and how to do a bunch of things. And that's, it's just rumors that I've heard. I think I heard a year and a half ago when GPT-3 first came out. Mm. And so I don't know how, how much farther they are, but they're probably making a lot of progress. So it's it's just, there's a lot to a lot more to it that people just don't understand. Yeah. Uh, ML Models as a rapper is not a company. It's just like something you can, it's just like Instagram stories. Like Snapchat came out with the story format. Instagram just integrated. WhatsApp has stories now. Signal has stories now. LinkedIn has stories now. And so it's just something that you can embed in your product and it's just, it might add value, it might not, but it's not something unique. And so it begs the question, like what is going to be the unique value prop in ML? I'm not sure, but I think it's not going to be the model itself. And the way it's perceived is actually very different than how crypto was perceived too. Like the, the way that crypto was seen was they were going to wipe out the entire financial system and create its own system. Whereas ML, it's kind of like, perceived as you know coming in and disrupting industry industries like you know um bit by bit kind of in that sort of way until one day you kind of wake up and you're like oh shit like yeah this this entire industry has been transformed and so it's 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 a i think to me it's a bit more um i guess palpable for the average like person who tries to understand these technologies and so for that reason it, it feels it feels more dangerous, almost like the adage of like, you know, the, the frog slowly, uh, toad slowly being boiled in water and not realizing that it's like dying kind of thing. Um, I don't know what that analogy is, but you, I hope you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. It's actually going to be, I think it's going to be the opposite. Where really? And that is going to just take off in a way that most people just don't expect it to. Like the reason why crypto had that very, like, you know, we're going to rebuild the entire system is that a lot of, people who would like, you know, were rebels of the existing system. It, it came out of the 2008 crisis. And so a lot of people were naturally hurt. And so there was this natural anger that went into the system where like, you know, politicians and everyone is just taking away. They're like debasing our currency and they're doing a, a bunch of things. 
And ultimately, the improvements that they brought were, if you like actually looked at, for example, crypto in general, like they cannot support like the level of throughput that Visa does, for example, because it's a completely different type of system with completely different type of goals. Like, for example, I, I see a lot of people trying to make this comparison where, oh, Visa does this, handles this many transactions, Bitcoin, Ethereum does it, but Bitcoin and Ethereum were not meant to handle this level of transactions. Yeah. Their core proposition is that no one can actually like, you know, hurt the network like single-handedly you have to like do an attack on the network and in general i think that is way more iterative than like people would believe like it's not going to happen overnight maybe like every year maybe five one percent more people like use crypto to do something that they weren't using it previously for like a lot of people now send usdc for example to do like cross-border transactions like that's one use case that's yeah. probably the biggest use case that i've seen i know a lot of I've heard a lot of investors like this via USDC directly to like investor to like founders. And so that's one use case. Some every year someone is gonna find another use case. And that's gonna happen very iteratively. Yeah. Uh, and then it's gonna have, have the opposite impact where it's gonna be good, excellent, and it's just gonna blow everyone up. Like the it took like GPT three came out in twenty twenty. GPT four is already out, it's in beta, like a lot of people are using it. It's not in public beta, so no, I don't have the visibility. But ChatGPT, for example, like you can already see the improvements that they've had in the past year and a half. And now, for example, we have a lot more players attacking it from different vectors. So like, for example, the DALI 2 came out in like April or May. Stable Diffusion came out three, four months later. By the time, in four months of Stable Diffusion being out in the public, I think they reduced the, they use this term called, I think the term is flops, like floating point operations. And I think they reduced the, ops by like 30, 40%, like they made the model wow. faster. And like they did a lot of bunch of improvements just by, you know, the model being open source. And so when you have this level of energy going in an ecosystem and you have this many improvements, and I just don't think we have even scratched the surface of like the lower level of improvements that we can do. Yeah. And I think in the next one, two years, you're going to be like, wait a second, this job used to exist and it doesn't. Yeah. Like I can give you my example. I, I did a lot of data analysis today just to understand some things. And I just wrote no code. I just gave the CSV headers to chat GPT. It's like, oh, can you give me this? Can you give me this? It would give me Python pandas code. I'll just run it locally and just like make some edits if something fails. But 99% of the times it actually did not fail. So anyone who's a data analyst now, his job is pretty much over. Yeah. Uh, and so you gotta ask, you gotta ask yourself, you know, how how fast it's gonna happen. I think it's actually gonna happen much faster than you think. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on this week. Oh, of course. Very interesting oh. topics.